Hello and namaskar. Welcome everybody to the D show. I'm so sorry about being 3-4 minutes late. We were facing technical glitch. It's the technology world and I wanted to make sure that when my guest comes in, we all meet him without any flaw in audio or video. Finally, my team has got that fixed, so thank God for Techstars to making our life easy. This goes out to all the driven people who are making everybody's life easy in a world full of digital disruption and digitization so once again a warm welcome to the d show today this is season 2 episode 3 and i'm very excited because today i've pulled in an authentic leader from the world of education education that is impacting inspiring and influencing the youth of today before i introduce him and bring him on the show let me me show you a little bit of a sneak peek so take a look Welcome to the show. Hi, hi, Doctor D. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the D show, and a very good evening to all uh, the audience that has logged into the D show to join our conversation this evening. Great to be here. Thank you. It's a it's a privilege and a pleasure, and I know I have been chasing you for for some months not to bring you in. You like to be in the shadows, and uh, you are the person who makes everybody. Look Look good. So thank you for agreeing here with me. It's a pleasure. Likewise, absolutely. Looking forward so to uh, getting some interesting, uh, free-flowing conversation happening this evening. Absolutely, Chetan. So let me tell all my audience that when I came to Pune almost a decade back, Chetan is one of those very leaders who inspired me. to be a be- better version of myself and jetan i've never said that to you on your face and today i'm confessing that lie that you've been an inspiration thank you and you also have have you know uh, made me a better person you have also made me a better leader not just the youngsters in your college that you inspire but you have inspired leaders like me as well so thank you appreciate that So let's get going, and um, I think I'm going to invite the comments, feedback, and everybody who is watching the show right now. Please feel free to stream live with us. Share your comments. Share your questions. We would love your engagement because this is an unfiltered conversation where we are going to talk about a lot of things which are difficult conversations, but we are going to make it absolutely easy from an educational industry and. Ed- educational leadership point of view so um chetan we already have our fans coming in here we have vishal saying welcome dr b and we have deepanshu okay that's we nice have, 
we have Dr. Shankar here. Thank you so much, ma'am, for joining us. It's it's a privilege to have you here on our show, and this is encouraging for us. Excellent. So while the questions and these comments are coming in, um, by saying good evening, Chetan sir and Dr. D. Chetan, I'm going to take you back in time, and I'm going to sure. ask you that what is the biggest challenge that you have ever faced? I mean, you're such a young leader in an industry where we are used to seeing very, very elderly people as deans and directors to change that game. So how did you do that? That's an interesting question. Well, challenges is very much a part of uh, everyone's life. But uh, maybe out of the multiple challenges uh, over the last 27, 28 years that uh, we may have faced at Indira, I think uh, uh, would sound pretty interesting and I would like to share uh, this specific one. When we started off at Indira in 1994, you know, uh, it, it, our founder was our, my eldest sister, Tarita Shankar, and, and uh, me. We were both, uh, and of course our family and friends very much were there, but both of, both was, uh, both of us were hands-on into getting Indira uh, going. And at that time, both of us were in our 20s, you know. So you can imagine that the mid-1990s, when education was exploding, the Indian government had come up with the LPG, uh, liberalization, privatization, globalization uh, policies. And India was trying to transit from a largely agri agriculture-driven economy to a service industry. You know, that was the when uh, India, the IT revolution was starting. And... We are, we are two youngsters who didn't know much about education. And uh, naturally, when we started off, it was difficult for all the people who are literally uh, two decades older than us, or maybe even older, to kind of, uh, you know, they, they would have committees who would come to uh, visit us before we started off with the MBA program. And uh, they were very skeptical. They said, how are these youngsters going to run a business school? And uh, the whole committee was people who were so senior. And, we, you know, and the first time they visited Indira, the kind of uh, fear and the heartbeat were beating at such a pace and uh, the kind of look which they would give us saying that, oh, the youngsters are going to run education now. Wow. Uh, <laughs> is this what education has come to? Well, today we are living in an exactly opposite world, you know, where the entire, the younger you are, the more capable you are of uh, running a startup, uh, starting a business as an entrepreneur. The younger you are, there'll be bigger uh, company, you know, funds and equity waiting out there for you to put in your startup because the ideas which you'll come up with are uh, far more relevant to today's generation. So that, that those times, like nearly for a, a first five, six years, we would always have this thing where seniors in this field of education, a lot of them were helpful. I think the ones who were really helpful made a big difference to uh, what uh, we are today and helped Indira grow. But then there would always be the critics and the skeptics who would look at us. Uh, and uh, for me and uh, uh, my elder sister, our chairperson, for both of us to try and prove them wrong was uh, a, a big, big challenge. And I think looking back now, uh, we laugh on those days and uh, they are uh, great memories to carry forward. And I think we managed to prove a point uh, surely now that uh, we see where we have come to. Wow. So we have, uh, you know, good leaders like Renu Bhargav joining us here on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Renu, ma'am, for being with us here. Let me tell all the audience, I've had the privilege of working with Dr. Shankar and Chetan. Chetan, your knowledge, uh, the way you bring insights, the way you resolve conflicts, 
I think I'm a big fan of all those skills because you are a leader who personifies collaboration. But I know at the start of the show, I'm bringing to light, uh, you know, another question which probably very few people might ask you. That at the time when you were going through those young years of establishing a brand, of proving your knowledge and your capabilities, you and your sister, did you guys ever sit back and did you have a dull day that, oh my God, we are feeling broken and we are feeling rejected? Or because when we see both of you, when we see Indra group, we see only a success story. So can you share a moment like that, that that happened and how did you cope with it? Because that would inspire a lot of youngsters watching the show today. A lot of professional people who are watching today who've gone through tough times with the pandemic. When you get demotivated, what do you do? How did you cope with that? Okay, I'll again go back to the years when we started. In the first uh, 90, uh, mid-1990s when we started off, after uh, we started off with the business school and the MBA program of uh, Pune University. And a uh, few years down the line, we realized the demand for management education is humongous. And we started an autonomous PGDM program, which uh, was being offered in Pune by uh, Symbiosis. They were the pioneers for PGDM autonomous. And then uh, other business schools picked up and we thought, because management education has such demand, there is a potential for the same. And we being a new brand, uh, in the first few years, uh, we realized that a lot of students come to Pune because it's considered as Oxford of the East. And uh, Pune had a strong industrial base. It was a, a reasonably safe city to stay in. And uh, being closer to Bombay, which is a financial, there was a lot of opportunity for placements and jobs and exposure. So the challenge was for us to go and get students from outside to Pune for PGDM program especially. And initially, I remember when Sarita uh, uh, and I used to travel cities like Gopal, Indore, uh, even uh, uh, you know Rajasthan, Jaipur, Udaipur. We would uh, actually go and give an advertisement in the local newspapers saying we are available for a few days for counseling students out there. We invite students and parents to come to meet us. And we are located at such and such a conference room of such and such a hotel. And, uh, you know, there have been days when uh, the whole morning has gone by where both of us have been having a cup of tea and coffee and there's actually no inquiry, no student has walked in. And uh, we have done this thing in multiple cities for years together. But, of course, most of the time we used to get a good response. But then there have been those days where we felt that, wow, how is our batch going to fill up this year? What kind of students are we going to get? You know, and... Uh, Everyone, when you're starting out, I think the thing to keep in mind out here is whether you start off on a, a job as a career or you start off as an entrepreneur or you start up with some new company of yours, the initial years building a, a good brand and building a good customer base or a good student base and where the program itself starts pulling the students in on their own, it takes time. There is always going to be that fear where you feel uh, are we on the right track? Is this uh, is this the right offering that we are putting out across there uh, for the students to come to? And we would feel disappointed that time when that enough forms would not fill up or students would not apply. But then, of course, uh, uh, that drove us to come up with more innovative practices. We didn't say we are offering a, a lower product. What we would say is that maybe the way we are approaching this or the way we are trying to market this is different. So maybe we had to innovate and think out of the box and come out with different solutions. And that's what we have really done over the last two decades or so. 
where uh, Indira has always been pretty innovative in its approach of trying to reach students out, you know, where uh, we over the years came up with something called as the Indira Youth Yatra, where a bunch of our directors and uh, good faculty members, senior faculty members went to different cities and we carried out an interaction with parents and students. So the formats kept evolving and changing and we realized that you have to take that in stride. There's never going to be a day where you're going to go and get a, a overpacked hall or a over full conference room every time you know that hap that doesn't happen even today so that's something which we have learned and we've taken that into our stride and realized that we need to change and keep uh, innovating us so what i'm hearing from you is that it is okay for all the startups and entrepreneurs who start out pivot and to have patience and perseverance to wait it happens to everybody irrespective of the industry correct oh absolutely unless you come out with a uh, a super product like a Facebook uh, or something, then of course you don't have to worry. It'll, the, the product itself <laughs> will spread like fire. But if you're not inventing the next Facebook or the next Paytm, then you better be ready to struggle and face rejection. It's part of the uh, part of the development process. I'm going to come back to more questions because I've been meaning to ask so many questions over the years. This is just the right platform. We also have our participants who are engaging with us. So I'm going to start pulling questions from the audience. Simarpreet Saluja is asking, Good morning, Chetan, sir, would like to know what inspires you to keep going and bring impact in education industry. So I'm receiving a lot of questions, Chetan. I think I'll request you to like kind of keep it crisp. Tell us what is your inspiration? Well, uh, there are quite a few uh, things which inspire us to, to uh, do better and uh, lift the benchmark each year. The thing is, once you are in a field like education, you realize that uh, your what you're offering is going to mold the careers and the lives of the next generation. And uh, uh, the thing is, if um, what inspires me most is the challenge that I need to keep abreast of the expectations of each batch that comes in. So I think that's a great motivator for me saying that, oh, tomorrow if a batch comes in at my syllabus or the content or I talk to them in their language, if I don't know the digital changes or technological advancements or what they expect or how maybe marketing is changing today and it's moving to things like the metaverse and what the metaverse is all about or what the AI ML language or you talk about cryptos and the what cryptos is doing to transactions across the world. If I'm not aware of this, how will I be really be able to deliver what, uh, what they expect uh, to learn as skills or knowledge which they can apply then to the industry or to the careers which they seek? So for me, the inspiration is that, that the youngsters who come in, they, they put challenges on us. They challenge uh, me, the team which works with uh, us, the whole group. I think that's been uh, kind of part of our culture at Indira that we believe we are here to do good for the students who come to us. And they are the inspiration. And if we don't uh, live up to the expectations, then we are not uh, living up to what Indira is all about. Very well said. So... I want you to tell us because now the new normal has changed the paradigm, has changed the entire about leadership. You know, a lot of things have been redefined now. What are your thoughts on the global competencies today? I mean, because especially we are talking about shaping the youth. Um, how are, as, as educational leaders, we fostering global competencies? Uh, well... I'll take the example of what we do at Indira, maybe. Uh, first of all, what 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 is it that, uh, you know, what according to you or what according to me would be 
say three or four key global competencies if you have to say a student is competent to work in a global environment to go and interact with uh, uh, the people in a different country or a different region then what comes to my mind is the ability of the student first to be a great communicator of course having multilingual skills helps so besides english and uh, hindi and whatever local language you know if you do uh, have a communi- basic communication ability of an international language especially in a country or a continent where you want to go and work that yes. would definitely help then of course uh, a cultural and a social diversity is very very important so i think colleges especially who are catering to uh, students who may further in their career go uh, overseas and work there i think there are more and more good institutions like ours who are recognizing that and we are actually getting in trainers and uh, resources who come and sensitize students towards cultural and global social diversity etiquettes behavior, interpersonal behavioral skills from the global, global perspective right yeah so so, so building the uh, not only the behavioral aspect of the student but even from his knowledge perspective his uh, knowledge about uh, geopolitics of that region the economic uh, you know uh, alliances in that region strategic alliances in that region i think all these things uh, add to building uh, the global competency of a student or a future leader right uh, it could also i mean uh, besides things like analytic people talk about innovative uh, being creative design thinking analytical thinking and all i think those skills are which are required even in india you know those are things which are common pan pan the planet you know wherever you go and do business you require all that but i think the the, the entire behavioral side of living is he going to an africa and doing business or going to a south america and doing business or even just simply going to europe and interacting with the team out there and feeling uh, being accepted i think is very very uh, important today and colleges across india some of the good groups are taking cognizance of that and are factoring inputs uh, into the curriculum and i think the pandemic when you talk about the pandemic uh, it's made the whole educational world a global village now earlier it was a lot about business uh, indian education was still pretty insulated from uh, international exposure but in the last one one and a half years we at indira ourselves uh, uh, thanks to some initiatives taken by our chairperson who is a harvard alumnus she managed to get nearly 40 to 50 of her harvard alumni uh, entrepreneurs network to come and interact with our students so we had people from different continents literally coming and sharing their uh, case studies of their business practices and cultures which was quite an eye opener and a great learning experience for our students so these are the kind of inputs which uh, are now easily accessible globally we have uh, at least a couple of international speakers every month or more sometimes who log in from different parts of the world and talk to our students so so this is a sensitizing which helps to inculcate and build uh, global competencies and i think it's very much relevant especially uh, for uh, management schools for pg programs where uh, there is a huge opportunity for students to either go abroad and work or of course work with a lot of global mncs or global corporations who are having business practices in india fantastic i think in in so many ways you also validated consultants like me who are trying to upskill a lot of professionals oh, and use to being more you know globally aligned because i one thing that pandemic has done has dissolved all borders totally um, totally with work from home with study from home i think it's just opened up a new universe 
like you wow, said is the calling now so vishal is asking you sir what is your vision to have top quality higher education in india why are we so very less research oriented wow that's an interesting question vishal uh, uh, okay the thing is india the education system traditionally has been based a lot on rote learning i think if you go and analyze this over the last 2 3 decades i'm not saying the immediate last 5 years things have been changing but uh, the last 2 2 3 decades or 4 decades back you go back and you see that uh, right up to your the, the the structure of indian education whether it's uh, the 10th exam the 12th exam then you come to your graduation studies uh, during our times there were only three streams you could either do science commerce or arts and medical of course which was the domain of a very few selected people and the entire education system was based on percentages and marks that you got and how well you did in your exams so uh, uh, people uh, the entire demographics of india which was largely middle class lower middle class everybody wanted to secure their future education was uh, a means to an end and that end was to achieving a secure livelihood and a future now research orientation or research is something which uh, was not a highly paid activity in india it was not a funded activity in india only barring the top uh, government research institutes like the iits or the iims who got fundings or the uh, research institutes of national eminence which got funding majority of the higher education in india which was driven by private or uh, enterprise or private entrepreneurs research was kept at the lower priority you know higher priority was given to academics for placements infrastructure creating a, a good learning experience and up to a decade back research was kept at a very low priority the fact that uh, today vishal is still asking that question when uh, i say that research has made lot of giant strides compared to what it was a decade back shows what a low priority uh, academic research had in india today things are changing thankfully the government and the hrd ministry the policy makers who come up with the education policies who run the gov- which govern all private education and universities in india have over the last decade 12 14 years putting in a lot of efforts to uh, to make research a uh, important aspect of every faculty every student who studying in higher education though it is of course not on comparable comparison or comparable with international if you're talking about ivy league or top universities across europe and america or even japan singapore hong kong yes it's not comparable to that level yet but uh, now uh, i think in 2020 the new education policy was announced they have also announced a national research foundation which is going to be part of this uh, new education policy uh, which, which is going to streamline search across pan india and uh, there is going to be far more greater emphasis so i think going ahead if you are keen and inclined towards research i think uh, one of the biggest determinants which was funding is going to now improve significantly and i think that will allow more uh, students or faculty to take up a research based career and i think things will change drastically uh, with the advent of the new education policy also emphasizing on the research part i'm glad you talked about the education policy so what as a thought leader what is your take on nep well uh, the nep 20 of course has taken a long time in coming i don't know if uh, the audience knows that uh, the last time when the government of india came up with a national level education policy was nearly 35 
years ago. So you can imagine then to now, this is the first government which is really putting such a big emphasis on education where what the NEP is going to come up with now is going to drastically change the face of Indian education. I think it's going to be uh, totally customer-centric. The focus is going to be on of the students and the whole structure of education, right from including the preschooling, that is nursery, junior KG, senior KG, into the uh, structure of the formal education. Up till now, if we all know that you know, nursery, junior KG, senior KG was not considered as part of your formal education. It was something which was done privately and you could do it anywhere and you could join, uh, get admission into first grade. Now that has uh, become a part of the formal education system and uh, your education format will be five years plus uh, three years plus three years plus four instead of 10 plus two. So majority of the key changes, if I can highlight uh, what the NEP is going to bring, is first of all, it's going to make it very, very interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, uh, with an emphasis on uh, the first year of your graduation degree, you will have a choice of actually uh, taking subjects from science, social sciences, uh, arts, and uh, you know maybe engineering or, some, uh, or any other field as such before you go into your second year and then select your major and minor subjects. So this, uh, first of all, flexibility is going to be great. You're not going to be compartmentalizing your uh, learning processes into only commerce or arts or engineering or things like that. You would get a choice. That's what the government wants students to take some more time before they can finalize what uh, stream they want to take as a major. Besides this, uh, the government has now announced a dual degree format so going ahead, students will actually, who are capable, who are interested, will be able to pursue two degrees simultaneously, which is very unique. It was never uh, been done before in India. And uh, I mean, uh, there are multiple things. There is a academic bank of credits coming up, which allows, uh, which will allow students to actually study in different colleges across India, accumulate credits, like how you accumulate money in a bank. You, a student can accumulate credits from first semester from one college and go to second semester and another college, accumulate credits from there, put it in his academic bank of credits. And eventually, by the time he reaches the fourth year, he could have had credits from maybe three or four institutes and still he'll be getting a degree at the end of the course. So there are many innovations. I think it's been uh, very uh, interestingly designed. Uh, they are talking uh, uh, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, things like uh, uh, a four-year degree. Of course, I talked about that. Uh, but the NEP also is going to emphasize on uh, allowing students to do research. Since we are talking about research, there is a provision that after four years, students want to do research would be in a position to go straight for a research and even get a doctorate if they fulfill certain criteria and conditions. So I think NEP is pretty interesting. Uh, some of the universities are already implementing it from this year. But uh, uh, going ahead, I think majority of the colleges in Pune or Mumbai, Maharashtra would uh, be implementing NEP from the next academic year. And, uh, right. you know, there'll be provision like in the UGC has come up with a thing this year, uh, which is part of the NEP, saying that 40% of your syllabus can be completed online. So the government of India is going to be offering content through their uh, Swayam portal. Swayam is a collection of content from some of the best colleges uh, across India like the IITs, IIMs, regional engineering colleges who are putting up content there and students will be able to learn 
from that content and get credits against that which can be adjusted against the degree which they may be following or doing in say indira or any other ferguson or wadia and pune so the the system is becoming extremely flexible and uh, favorable where students will not have the which was there in the earlier education system a lot of flexibility a lot of entry exit points uh, would make it much more attractive and interesting for students you know so nep yes uh, exciting times ahead uh, for even for uh, uh, educationists like us it's going to be a challenge because it's a big change and we will need to work with our team with the faculty to adopt the change there will be reskilling relearning required by a lot of our team members to be able to adopt and deliver nep effectively for the next generations of uh, students wow very well explained uh, chetan talking about policies talking about ugc flexibility uh, i was a little concerned in the ukraine war what happened to our international students now i'm not to show if something we've done in terms of flexibility to help them with their credits as a leader what do you think we can do um, to help them uh, be better not lose hours that they spent internationally what are your thoughts yeah excuse me well ukraine was unfortunate but of course it did highlight the fact that there are quite a few students each year who go out of india for higher education and i think that is a challenge it actually address or throws open a broader problem which the government of india has been facing and which it is not been resolved now if you look at the students who are stuck in ukraine the number was close to around 18000 indian students in ukraine alone yes. studying medical education nursing and dental i think 90 95% of the students were cover, only pursuing these three streams now if you look at it up to the last uh, maybe la- uh, up to say 4 5 years ago india had a huge shortfall of uh, medical colleges and uh, nursing colleges okay we didn't have that many colleges set up by the government because the medical colleges require huge costs the way it is uh, conducted in india the, uh, the if anyone even a private player has to set up a medical college in the first year itself you would require close to 250 to 300 crores of an investment to start a college so naturally uh, that deterred private players from getting into it because returns were much uh, longer and government uh, had its own budget limitations and priorities so we didn't invest in creating now the modi government just few years back announced starting off nearly uh, 40 50 new medical colleges across india and i think that's going to make a difference but 18000 students coming back from ukraine uh, actually there uh, this was not expected so the medical council of india had a challenge and there was no way there was that many seats available to accommodate all of these students in those years there were some second year students third year fourth year fifth year so the government did put in their best efforts to try and accommodate them but it's not really worked out because even the entry criteria for admissions to medical colleges or nursing or dental in india is different than what criteria these students were selected and went to ukraine so uh, naturally nobody expected a war scale activity or even to happen so a lot of these students are actually left in the lurch as of now because of uh, lack of act genuine uh, you know way to solve the technical problem to adjust them into a medical college secondly of course medical colleges in india uh, unfortunately don't have vacant seats 
so even if they want to adjust somebody and make them do a test or something and get them in uh, the whole process of increasing intake and things like that is a longer process so but right. i still feel that a lot of private universities who had uh, vacancies have provided some solutions and have requested the government to be a little flexible and adopted those students and our students of course you know are very smart so they have already tried to contact other similar universities abroad and internationally and i've tried to get transferred to those places so i don't think that's something which we we could do more we are not indira is not a medical education so we really didn't get to the bottom of the problem and uh, whatever i hear is just from hearing it from my peers and friends who do run medical colleges wow but before there's so many questions which are coming in but i'm curious to ask uh, one more from my side with pumpin and i i promise all the audience that i'm going to take all your questions please keep posting your feedback and queries so chetan we we are talking about how are supporting now tell me what our government is not doing <laughs> as a leader in education industry you and i we have without the camera talked a lot about what we could do but i want to hear it from you which can add value and a lot of influences on the show here so maybe we can lobby together and influence the policy makers in the government in years to come in the favor of the youth i think we are missing okay uh, that's a tricky question and i don't know to what extent i want to answer it very accurately or not but of course uh, <laughs> i'll say a few things from my own practice and observations so when uh, an educationist uh, uh, people like us who run an education institution we have regulation which happens at two levels one is uh, the state level so there is a, a rules and regulation which the state education ministry rolls out which we need to follow and then there is the central uh, organization like aict and ugc also which govern higher education and uh, we need to follow certain guidelines and rules which they put up so what i've seen is in the last 24 25 years uh, the government at the central level especially has not had sufficient uh, you know regulation which has been constant for say two decades or three decades they themselves uh, the bodies have been uh, learning from case studies of what education is doing in different parts of india and regulation has been changing sometimes very randomly sometimes uh, 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 very suddenly and which has put private players like us in a fix and we have had to adopt and change and modify uh, our own uh, things even like infrastructure you know just to name a few things infrastructure or the faculty ratios or the faculty qualifications sometimes there is a clash between qualifications what the university of pune wants and what qualifications aict wants and uh, the gray areas create a problem for the directors or principals who are running these colleges and Uh, you know, if you agree to Pune University, you're breaking a AICT rule, and that's the kind of a simple example where there needs to be uniformity, where the same language is spoken by the state government for regulating colleges, and the same language is spoken by the central government. And quite a few times, I think these challenges are faced not only in education but different aspects of uh, business or industry, uh, where there are you know a country like ours being so large and vast and so diverse and so many times the government at the center and state is different where policies are bound to clash so educationists over the years have had challenges uh, there are multiple instances like where we as an institution have had to go to the bombay high court for our demands to be met or for some thing where we have uh, not been at fault but have been pulled up for being at fault and we have had to challenge and prove that to the 
Department of Technical Education at the state or at uh, AICT at the center saying that, you know, for no fault of us, you all are pulling us up. And I mean, 99% of those cases, uh, we have managed to put in our favor because we, have, we know that we have not been wrong. So, yes, the government, I think the NEP could be an answer to this where uh, the, finally a government has come which is saying that we'll roll out a national education policy. So it's not going to be different for anyone. Everybody has to follow this format, a centralized bank of credits, uh, you know, a lot of guidelines for, uh, you know, uh, online learning and things like that. So uh, hopefully this would also bring in uh, uniform faculty qualifications requirements. Uh, just for example, now the government in the new NEP said that every teacher who wants to teach at higher education would have to compulsorily complete a B.A. qualification. So if yes. you don't have a clear qualification, you'll not be allowed to become. So so there are changes which are coming, which will make it uniform. And that will hopefully, uh, you know, uh, reduce this problem, which educationists sometimes keep having with the government. You know, even this year, uh, last two years, we have had a lot of entrance exams. You know, earlier MBA education, the entrance tests were conducted at each college level. Then they, they got centralized. Now with the centralized exam, the MBA, just for example, I'm saying MBA, it could be for engineering, pharmacy, any course. The MBA entrance test at each state level happen on different days. So tomorrow, an MBA college say in Madhya Pradesh starts classes on 1st of August. In Maharashtra, our entrance exam is happening on 23rd August. So you can imagine Ooh. college will start not before 1st of October. So now this kind of a disparity where students will say, why go to Maharashtra and study MBA when my own state, the college is starting on 1st of August, you know, and we try and tell our uh, education minister here saying that, sir, don't do this. You know, the good students will go away to private universities or they'll stay back in their own states. And we as a state will lose out attracting the best if we don't have a consistent schedule. Now, this year, there's no pandemic. There's nothing, you know, everything is back to normal, but still our state is conducting MBA and engineering entrance exams amongst the last across, uh, you know, all other states in India. So these are some things which, you know, we sometimes feel like pulling our hair out, saying that why uh, they don't follow a, a practice which will benefit the students. Because the semester starting in October is definitely something where we have to cram in a lot of studies for the students. And who's losing at the end is the poor student, you know, who gets uh, sold short because what he needs to do in, say, four months, it gets compressed to two and a half months. Chati, I've always admired, you know, with the clarity that you have, can we, can we hope someday you're going to be our education minister? Do you have any political ambition? <laughs> a lot of friends have told me that you should try and enter politics. I, should, I think I should have started a little earlier. Now we have politicians who are at 44 and 45 and they are the education ministers and things like that in states or at the center level. But uh, definitely... Uh, uh, I, I hope that uh, we can continue to be good implementers of what they decide. And I think the NEP is something which we're really looking forward to. And I wish we can. I think finally there is a, a, a policy at a national level. And getting into politics is definitely not uh, my cup of tea. I think I miss the bus sometime. <laughs> Maybe if somebody offers an MLC or something like that, why not? <laughs> I'll need a sponsor for that for sure. <laughs> no, we would always want the influencer and the kingmaker, whether you become the minister or not. But we need people like you. We need leaders like you who can, you know, streamline our education industry. Okay, now I'm gonna get start get, getting a backlash from my audience because I'm not deep diving into the questions. Let, let me get in here because 
Ankit is asking, what is the importance of an MBA and how does a management course help build a society? Clearly an aspiring uh, youngster. <laughs> well, Sanket, uh, an MBA, as you all know, uh, a country like India, over the last two decades, this particular qualification, an MBA or a PGDM program, has been like a passport to a career for most of our students. I think even today, if you see... Uh, Majority of the students after you finish, say, a BCom or a BA or a BSc, or to a great extent, even B from the tier two, tier three engineering colleges, students don't get great employment. The kind of job offers and the starting packages which they are getting, and which was the case even during our time, two, three decades ago, uh, after a BCom or a BA or a BSc, unemployment was a sure shot given. And I think somewhere a program like the MBA uh, or a PGDM became that qualification which a student could bank upon, could count upon that after his graduation, if they didn't get that break, they would go and do this. And then if they went to the right business schools, they would definitely get an opportunity to get a better job, a better start, even as a fresher. So somewhat, if you see that uh, the way management education. I'm going to give the example mainly of Pune since I'm from here and since we started in the mid-1990s. I think before Indira started, there were a handful of management colleges in Pune, maybe four or five. From 94 till say 2004, the number uh, institutions, it went up 300%. And uh, at that time, if you go to see, like I said earlier, sometime back, India was transiting from becoming an agriculture-dominated economy towards a service-driven economy. I think that uh, coincided with the IT revolution in India. We all know the Y2K problem, the year 2000, when a lot of Indian yes. uh, IT brains became the, India became the solution provider for the Y2K IT problem. Indian IT services, the Indian IT uh, back office services became uh, exploded as a boom. It became one of the hottest uh, back office destinations for technology for the world, for IT especially. And as such, this, uh, along with the boom in MBA, kind of drove the service sector in India. What is service sector? Service sector is a people-intensive sector. So what are we talking about? The growth of the banking financial services, growth of travel tourism, growth of IT, IT-enabled services, back office services. So it's all service-driven and services are largely people-intensive. And naturally, for these kind of things, human resources, uh, manpower, marketing, MBA was the de facto entry qualification. So I think definitely MBA has been a somewhat uh, a, a qualification which has enabled millions of careers across India. It has definitely helped to build a nation. There's no doubt that the service sector uh, largely and the industry, manufacturing and all also, of course, uh, the manufacturing boom also happened. And today we can say that Agricultural, manufacturing, GDP contribution is nearly similar, while services, India is a service-dominated economy. And that's uh, definitely what uh, I would say if the business schools were not there, I don't think that would have been possible. Talking about developing uh, brains at the business school, Dr. Dolly Sage, she's watching the show very avidly, wants to know, how do you think we can stop the brain drain from India? Well, clearly a patriotic at heart. How do you think we can do that? I mean, everybody today in a sufficient background wants to do their master's abroad. Isn't that so, Chetan? 
I think only those students who can really afford international education. See, again, international education, there are uh, many types of universities or levels of universities which you can go for. First of all, one thing, see, India is a hugely populous country. So though I do agree that to a certain extent, the brain drain problem, I would say, is towards, if you look at the cream of Indian brains which go from the IIT, IIM combination. I think that is genuinely a brain drain if a majority of those people go out of India and then settle and uh, build their lives abroad. But if you look at students, say, from Indira or Ferguson, these are the students who are not necessarily the absolute cream or the IIT, IIM type combinations which leave from India. So what I'm trying to say is there are many segments. See, there are segments and students also. Everybody has a right to pursue a career or an education of their dream. So whilst there are uh, students who we feel is a brain drain and they go out, I think the percentage going out is minuscule. It is minuscule compared to what really remains back in India. So whether it's the uh, the IIT IM combinations or the people from Indira, Ferguson, uh, Wadia, Symbiosis, Garware, Modern, any of the colleges in Pune, the percentage going out is not even 3 or 4% every year. So I really don't look at this as a brain drain. I think it looks at, uh, it, it. I look at it that it's an acceptance of the Indian education system which uh, globally has takers where other universities or companies internationally roll out the red carpet for Indian the Indian brain and the Indian talent. And that's something which we have to be proud of. You know, today our education system, people say, oh, masters, we have to go abroad, etc., etc. I ask these people, why didn't you go abroad for schooling then? So the schooling, the graduation, what we provided here was the foundation on which you built your education and your development of your mind. And I think after that, when you go for masters or higher education, it's an individual choice. I really don't look at that. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, brain drain earlier was being talked about and it's been a you know, over the decades, we have had debates and discussions on this. But I think today there is a sufficient or a larger number of great talent and great knowledge remaining back, staying back and helping to build uh, uh, great Indian corporations. Today, the world looks at us with envy and pride because we are truly the fastest growing GDP in the world. One of the fastest yes. growing industries and service sectors. So I think we should be happy. And, and brain drain is a old this thing leave it at that those who stay back are helping to build a great and a better india and i know how many people during the pandemic came back and didn't go back they have all stayed back in india so it's this thing will happen it's a very minor percentage just let's ignore it wow i i must applaud you on the perspective this is a fantastic very progressive perspective thank you Absolutely. for sharing that with us okay so let me bring in this question from nitin manik has the pandemic forced us to rethink how we want to deliver education and are these new methods more or less effective than the conventional ones? Well, yeah, uh, digitization of education, as I would say, uh, definitely has opened up a Pandora's box in terms of the learning experience of the student, whether it's a, a school going child or it's a teenager in a, the first few years of junior college or uh, uh, UG college or it's a master's education uh, online education is here to stay I think there are a lot of value adds which online education has brought to the learning experience and uh, a lot of that is in a positive it's a positive change I think uh, online education has made 
the ability for students to learn at their own pace to learn with a one on one focus much more prominent so today though we are in a mass education system sometimes online education allows that mass to be customized so students can take tests or learn uh, do quizzes uh, consume content at their own pace in their own time you know compared to say 15 years back or even 2 3 years 4 years back there was a uh, you know everything uh, classroom education very much is very very relevant today but i think the blended format which has emerged over the last few years is a wonderful format and uh, there are the uh, positives which will keep getting enhanced and uh, we know we are a digital generation and today nearly 9 million indians have cell phones the one of the highest density in the world and majority of those are of course smartphones so close to 600 million smartphones now with these kind of numbers we are consuming the highest amount of content digitally than any generation ever did in uh, the history of humanity so far and when you talk about mm-hmm. consumption of content on a mobile naturally education is a part of it you cannot say i'll consume only entertainment only news only uh, you know other uh, uh, you know other Everything things is online but education uh, i'll do only in the classroom no today a, mo- a mobile has become a extension of the classroom so apps content digitally consumed are uh, in favor with students and that's going to grow the only uh, what's going to keep changing is the innovation which will happen in this space but that's here to stay it's, it's not going to stop anymore you know that leads me to the next question bhavna has asked which of the digital technologies will impact significantly education sector in the coming years what do you think Well, uh, so digital techno. I think video is one of, like uh, video has been one of the greatest impactors on education in a very simple way. So, if you talk about uh, the last one and a half two years, what has come to prominence, what has come to the fore, are uh, video technologies like what we are actually using just now on YouTube or on LinkedIn to communicate together so easily, you know, and have a learning session, have an interaction, have question and answers being thrown at each other, which was not possible two years back. so video is one of the biggest ways now video can be through multiple apps through multiple formats and those will keep evolving so if you look at right now we are looking at a 2d consumption or a 3d uh, 2d way of communicating through a screen tomorrow the metaverse is bringing in where you can actually be inside your classroom with other students from the comfort of your home but you will think you are actually walking around in your college you are visiting your canteen cafeteria you're visiting your auditorium you're sitting uh, uh, visiting a lab and the entire classroom uh, college can be replicated in the metaverse so anything can be put out there uh, there are soon uh, v- vr handsets and goggles coming out which are going to be much cheaper and far more accessible and affordable to the future generations and once that happens the ar immersive technologies the use of that in education is what to go on increase so get ready Fantastic. for that revolution also yeah the revolution is already coming in and i think leaders like you are leading the way chetan it's a weekend evening and i didn't even realize it's been almost an hour i hope i can wow. take some more time we have we have a few more questions but so i don't want to tire you questions as long as the audience is not run away and it's only you and me talking you know so as long as we have an audience <laughs> we'll take a few questions Okay so I need to take Colonel Jaitley's question I mean he's my father and a fellow director so he's saying Chetan invest 
teachers in management institutions juggle between industry and teaching colleges of course we know that that they have to get industry credits why in india we have teachers who have never been part of industry does it affect the quality what is your personal take on this oh 100% it does affect the quality because uh, faculty in india naturally who finish a graduation degree we have had cases where especially maybe in courses like bsc or engineering where the student has an inclination for academics doesn't want to go to industry has never seen industry and they come and start teaching the academics which just a few years back have given an exam and cleared so naturally that limits the learning experience of the student but uh, especially management education over the few decades we at indira have always tried to get a blend of faculty where we have academics uh, taking care of academic uh, inputs and for the same subjects we get domain experts from the industry for marketing hr finance manufacturing supply chain logistics whatever you talk uh, we will get industry experts to come and supplement or support the faculty in getting the students to understand the application or the practical side of what they are learning but yes of course to faculty but uh, today uh, just for another innovation which has come up in the last few years a lot of colleges are actually tying up with industry or industry platforms like chambers of commerce and things like that where they are sending faculty out for a, a two or three or four week orientation in certain companies and industries so that faculty actually get to see how uh, processes and business practices are followed in these organizations so there are innovations like this being done where uh, actually uh, faculty do summer uh, a summer project or an internship and they come back definitely far better more confident to then teach the students great we are receiving a lot of validation and acknowledgement from our viewers uh, chetan that we are adding a lot of value and knowledge thank you for continuing to share that swapnil wants has a very interesting question so i i'm going to take this first we write sure. that indians like sundar pichai nadella and parag are heading leading us companies what is the status of our average degree in international job market so obviously we see these global icons what do you think where does how valuable is our degree well part of it swapnil he's already answered but we're going to do a quick take on this before i okay so i'll give you a answer on this just uh, i'll tell you october what november 2021 uh, end of november 2021 i was in dubai with my family we went to see the uh, the world dubai expo it was an amazing experience and when i uh, before going there i had put up on my uh, facebook and messenger saying that i'm going to be in dubai and i would like any alumni to connect with us and uh, i got of course quite a few you know inquire i mean hi hellos from uh, dubai uae region where indirites are working and studying in global corporations out there and uh, there were a few who i met who have passed out from indira way back in 1996 97 literally the first batch of mba from indira and i met her and her, her husband they are both from indira they are settled in dubai uh, for the last uh, many years and uh, similarly quite a few parts other parts of the world where we have gone there has always been an indirite somewhere or the other so now uh, what i am trying to tell you is see indira is not a top tier a iim category institution we are a tier 2 quality education provider we know what uh, the the corporate or the 
uh, industry needs and we try to come up with the best inputs to meet the requirements of the society and the industry and i think uh, the fact that indirects are in every part of the world today so that i'm saying that if you're talking about an average indian qualification a good educational institution from india we do prepare manpower for the world is i met somebody in australia i have a student who i've had coffee with in uh, uh, london in piccadilly square and he is working for a bank out there and today indian operations of indian companies are also all across the world sbi hdfc has offices across the world and they send our own uh, students who have passed out to join them to go and take care of these operations so it's uh, definitely not only joining indian uh, companies or mncs abroad i think if you go to the middle east majority of the middle management out there executives out there are from indian business schools and indian engineering colleges and these are all from the tier 2 good quality institutions so i think the indian this thing has acceptance globally uh, uh, of course if you're a fresher and you expect to get a global job that may be tough but once you graduate from engineering or your management qualification or any other bsc bcom you get a few years of experience in india then uh, the world's your oyster you can go anywhere you want well and if, if you're qualified in Sure, and for qualifications, you have Indra Group, who are your enablers, who are empowering Absolutely. you and guiding you, guiding <laughs> you. So um, I'd much. like to acknowledge Dave, who's joined us. I did set from the United States of America. We have a lot of people joining in. Thank you, Dave. Uh, he's saying, I hope educators in America are also watching some interesting ideas and thoughts being discussed. Thanks. He's our North America partner. Thank you for your time. It's Thank early you. Morning. Thank you, Dave. Well wow. so uh, you know there are many questions which are still unanswered i'm going to take the last one and let me tell to all the audience sure. i have an interesting rapid fire round planned with him and uh, i'm going to tag chetan because this is being streamed live on multiple social media platforms so chetan i'm going to tag you if any of the questions are not answered maybe on social media wherever i tag you you can answer it right there and then okay sure Awesome. So let me let me begin Uday. Well, Uday is a team tally alumni, and uh, he's a keen learner. So he says, "Hello, sir. What's the academic difference between one and tier two colleges? If they are same academically, then why there is difference in placements? Clearly, an affected one. What are your thoughts, Chetan? Uh, well, I think the difference in placements to a certain extent happens because of the." Uh, the status and the perception of that college brand by the industry itself certain colleges have uh, been around for say 35 40 years and uh, if that's the case a college which is started just say 10 years back it doesn't have the same status and brand perception as the older one who's been around for a longer time and i think uh, one thing we need to all accept and be aware uh, accept that it's a part of uh, Uh, our society and the way we look at things everything just can't be uniform you know there has to be a a, a diff- the segmentation there will be rankings there, there will be uh, colleges or universities and as such uh, this perception even the industry feels that uh, a top tier one college will be able to attract the best of talent or the best of minds but uh, hear me out uh, i know a lot of Uh, corporate supers they say that 
they have stopped going to the high ends some other say because we don't get uh, a fresh thinking process or a fresh uh, out of the box innovative on the street smartness from a lot of iims because they are all programmed to think in a particular way and uh, so we love to come to tier 2 colleges because we we want uh, the go getters or the differentiators who would add value so there will always be takers for all all types see today you can't expect a student with 50 and 60% to be granted admission in iims right but uh, similarly uh, i mean it just depends on the efforts and the value which you what you are doing at a particular time during your own career path see everybody has access to get into the iims so if you want to be out there and be in that you have to make it happen for yourself let's not blame factors externally rather let's look at things that okay what you want to do or you should have done to be where you would have want to go rather than challenging why the corporates are differentiating with their packages you know so so there is always a different <laughs> way of looking at things but i i i feel yes there will why is there a difference between a mercedes and a say a hyundai you know that there is there is a, a value perception there is a, a difference in the product somewhere and uh, uh, when uh, if a, a buyer or the corporates think like that we we can't really change or challenge that to a great extent but like you said the perspective and the opinions are changing the bigger you know organizations they want more flexibility and adaptability which from small town Absolutely. you know hunger yeah, to do yeah. better right let me now put you on the spot with a rapid fire so brace yourself and one word or one line after chatty no no i'm going to give long answers i'm a i'm a professor i cannot give short answers <laughs> Okay, I'm going to start now. So, if we have to define you, person, you would call yourself an introvert, extrovert, or ambivert. Uh, extra extrovert. Wow. Okay. Your idea of relaxation: books or music? Music. Sure. Favorite holiday destination: beach or mountains? Beach, beach, always. Who do you value more, friends or family? Now this is going to be a tough one. Uh both. You know, you, uh, both uh, <laughs> both are equally valuable. There's no question about that. You know, but family, of course, is definitely uh, closer. And friends, uh, they have their own. Uh, uh, you know, you could say the own uh, joy and uh, uh, you know entertainment which they bring. That's that's a different thing completely. Okay, so and your choice of skill between negotiation or persuasion? I think negotiation is a, a good thing because uh, it gives both the parties a chance to come out with the best, come to a win-win situation. Persuasion is normally you want to persuade someone to see your perspective only, which then I feel is not fair and it's not a win-win situation. X and as management guru, who would you like to follow? C.K. Prahlad or Tom Peters? Oh, C.K. Prahlad, definitely. I've actually this is I can share with the audience. Nearly 15 years back, I had the pleasure of meeting C.K. Prahlad in Pune. He had come down for a YI Young Indian CII function, and he spent an evening with us. And uh, one of the truly amazing management gurus which India has produced. His uh, 
I think his work, uh, The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid, the book which he released in 2004, is still uh, one of the absolute strategies which a lot of corporations, a lot of startups, even today, follow and are finding success using the principles which he put forth. Tom Peters, a legend in his own capacity, no doubt. For me, I'm an Indian and I love CK Prada. Wow. Thank you for sharing that uh, experience. If you were not into education, what would you be? I'm curious to know that. I used to play school, so I would have loved to be a cricketer playing IPL. <laughs> wow. That's nice. We have some cricketers watching the show. <laughs> okay. Why you not? Had... <laughs> if you have to fantasize, you can fantasize about anything. <laughs> So, you admire the style of Putin or Biden? Uh, neither, I would say. Neither. Biden Any, is like, uh, been a disappointment. And Putin, from at one time, I should uh, quite admire him as a strong, strong uh, leader. But uh, after the invasion, completely lost the plot. So, neither. So I would say Modi. Narendra Modi is the rock star. Narendra oh, Modi wow. Is the <laughs> I hope he's listening. Favorite uh, cuisine for you? Chinese, Mughlai, or continental? Uh, Mughlai, for sure. Mughlai, for sure. And, and your favorite drink? Tea, coffee, tequila? Right now, it's black coffee. So, coffee. <laughs> for sure. Lot of I, if, I make tequila, if I make tequila a favorite drink, I'll need to start having it more often. And that's something which I cannot do. <laughs> So coffee, it is for sure. Yoga or gym? What is your working out? Uh, gym, gym for sure. Gym, uh, cult fit, hit workouts. All that pandemic has taught us to do all that stuff now. Yoga once in a while, definitely. But I'm not uh, that flexible. You know, so the yoga asanas put me in a pose which uh, ends, uh, makes me, you know, afterwards end up with a lot of... Uh, Crazy Need for a feeling and <laughs> Yeah, so yoga once in a while, surely, surely. Wow, and a sunny day person or a sun person? Oh, sunny day anytime. Excellent. The last message to all, all the audience who are watching, if you had to give an advice to 21 or a 24-year-old Chetan studying at an institution like Indra, what would that be? Never miss Professor Chetan's classes. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I would tell you. The maximum gyan you would get out there. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I have really enjoyed talking to you as always. And I'm very confident that from today's session, we have a lot of takeaways that can influence many lives that we spoke to today. Thank you, audience, for participating and asking so many questions. I promise you I'll get you all the answers from Chetan on the various platforms you've posted questions if I haven't been able to take in. Chetan, your parting words with us. Hey, thank you for inviting us on the show. It's been great uh, conversing. And I think time has flown when you said that we already completed an hour. Uh, that uh, just shows that it was pretty engrossing for me and pretty interesting questions coming up. I enjoyed doing this. Uh, and of course... Uh, I'm very much going to be in campus next week. So all of my students who logged in and still feel that they want to talk some more with me, you know where I sit, please come and join us. For the rest of the audience, on the, the fans of the D show, please uh, send questions to uh, Divya, as she said. And 
of course we'll be happy to you know reply to them at the earliest thank you once and again it's been a wonderful evening please please share that they need to subscribe to my channel oh yeah yeah of course of course they will, they will <laughs> as long as you keep getting interesting speakers like uh, me on the channel you will get many more subscribers and <laughs> <laughs> we have apurva giving us a lot of validation very informative and knowledgeable talk and lot of insights lot of thank yous coming in here thank you so much everybody for participating for engaging with us your your feedback is very valuable to us it doesn't matter where we are which industry we are from but chetan and i i can say for sure that we value feedback absolutely okay thank you thank you so much chetan have a great weekend and have a drink from my same side same to you all same Not to you all have a good one <laughs> yes bye bye, <laughs> bye, -bye. Thank you, thank you, everyone. Well, if you thought that I was looking light, right and left, that's only because in a professional studio, I have to make sure that all the questions are pulled in, and I'm multitasking to make this very interesting and engaging for all of you. A special thanks to Dr. Tarita Shankar for making the time and staying with us here throughout this session and engaging with us. It means a lot. and we hope that many leaders like you and chetan step forward and talk uninhibitedly you know i go to many leaders but when they hear that it's a live show they sort of pull back because it is unfiltered and probably they get scared of what i might ask or my audience might ask so once again thank you chetan for being here in your true element and answering everything and speaking from the heart Don't forget to subscribe to my channel the D show the idea is to inspire you bring you lots of leadership talks leadership insights people who actually have impacted or influenced my mindset my life help me be a better version of myself at the advanced learning institute we inspire and imbibe this vibe and therefore we will continue our endeavor of bringing very interesting and invigorating discussions for all of you Once again thank you for joining in have an excellent saturday evening and sunday the weather pune is very very good so i hope you all are finding the monsoons enjoyable i will come back next month with another cheers